Hi, this is Ben Bova. I've written a lot of science fiction, and I think that I've devoted my life to trying to understand the opportunities and the dangers of the future. And if you listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, you begin to understand a lot of that too. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we'll give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Beginning in 2019, all Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night are coated with a thin candy shell to help augment your auditory experience. Tonight in episode 420, which is funny and I'm not sure why, we look forward with great excitement to listening to people talk, because that's what we do. On board for tonight's podcast, in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Gaming Console and Help Desk, our own back-alley freeform fencing champion for the past three years, and prodigious prestidigitator of protons and electrons, Kriana. And I swear to God, she has other sound effects. That's the closest one to her finger. Welcome to Cyborg University's preeminent reference librarian, whose current contract requires an inch of standing water wherever she goes. She also thinks that light sticks are magic and it shows waterproof ukuleles. It's Zombrillion. I had to make sure that the laughing children were done. The scary children of the core and laughing children. Yep. Because we love them. Yes, we do. They're, they're, they're our most intense listeners, which in itself is, I think, scary enough. How are you doing, love? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Dom? Good, good. It was a good summer so yeah. far. It's coming too quickly to an end, I believe. And me, I'm just a guy who likes vintage TV, bad movies, good writing. They call me the Dome for, for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, it's been unbearably, you know, ridiculously warm for the past couple of days, weeks, whatever. Um, Summer is my least favorite season. I will admit it. I don't I, like summer. I love summer. I, I really, when, when, when I was young, you know, back in the Paleolithic era, I, I lived on the equator and there were only two real seasons. There was hot and dry where it was like 105 degrees every day and 0% humidity and hot and wet where it rained for six months and it was 85 or 90 degrees. And I loved it. I really, really loved the heat. When we moved to New England, I just kind of went, ew, white stuff, cold. No, no, not fun. But that's just me. And like other people who don't like snow. You know, about three weeks ago, uh, we were talking about going to Plastic City, and we went, and golly gosh, it was fun. And uh, we had a good time there, met a whole bunch of people. 
reconnected with a whole bunch of people and uh, had a surprisingly fun reconnection with with our guest tonight and good friend Colby Elliott. Colby, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dylan. I really appreciate you having me back on. Um, it's, always, it's always yeah. fun when you're on because yeah. <laughs> what the audience doesn't know <laughs> is we've we've been talking in pre-show for almost 20 minutes and any any of it would have been great to have on the show but no we don't record that shit which is the dumb part that's okay that's okay you know as i as i kind of gaze around the uh, area 51 studios i'm i'm loving what you've done with the place i mean i love the new parquet floors and you know it looks like zombrain has a new occasional table which i mean i just i love what you've done with the place man it looks great However it looks, it's actually better than that. So, <laughs> I just got, I just got brand new uh, uh, images of the Angry Beavers, nice. uh, seven or eight of them, who are my one of my favorite cartoons of all times. Um, and in in restraightening up um, the the fun section of Area Fifty One, I found. Uh, Five or six Harley Quinns I don't remember buying. So <laughs> I feel kind of good about that as well. Oh, Mr. J. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, Harley and and uh, um, She-Hulk uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Catwoman. And they, they were kind of my thing. And I really – and then I found these, these, uh, these blind box – Beatles figures that I remember buying like seven or eight years ago and wondered where they'd ended up and found them. Uh, so I have the Beatles sitting up above my computer tonight, which is kind of nice. What era? Um, I actually have two. Uh, the first one is the four of them in, in the um, uh, white album kind of nice. scraggly haired look. And the other one is the cartoon ones. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, and, and of course, I own all the cartoons too. Which is, you know, those are some of my favorite things. Oh, the blue meanies, man! The blue meanies. <laughs> well, it was also their week. They had a weekly cartoon show for for yeah. one season as well, and that was again a different one. I, I got the uh, the reprint of uh, Yellow Submarine came out in November, and somebody in my family who understands my, my, my need for this kind of thing bought me the reprint and it's just, just lovely. That's I have cool. to make a confession. Yes. I haven't ever actually seen all of Yellow Submarine. Uh, I envy and you, you. And you That's, live in Massachusetts yeah. where marijuana is legal. <laughs> no, no, when I tried to watch it, you should mm-hmm. not watch it when you're on drugs. You're probably no. right. Should not because no. the first time I tried to watch it, I was 14. I had just had my appendix out. I was still on pain meds, and I tried to watch it. And I made my brother turn it off because I was scared. And he said, "Why are you scared? We've been watching it for five minutes. They haven't even gotten onto the submarine yet." And I said, <laughs> "Just turn it off." And he didn't speak to me for the rest of the day. The end. A lovely story by Zombarian. So you know there was there was this amazing um, animator that worked on uh, the Electric Company when I was growing up that did 
um, a similar style of animation that was to Yellow Submarine. And I, so for me, that was like the, the first time I saw Yellow Submarine, it was like seeing something from when I was seven or eight years old. And it was, it just took me back there instantly. So it was a, a completely different experience. I, and I probably was high on chocolate milk at the time, but that's probably. We were all high <laughs> on chocolate milk at the time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Saying oh, over. yeah. You got it. I mean, you know, and I had always mistakenly thought that Peter Max had done the original draws and sets for it. And mm-hmm. he did not. Hmm. They wanted Peter Max to do them. And he just simply couldn't find the time to make it happen. So they found this other illustrator whose name, of course, escapes me at the moment, uh, who, who did this remarkable Peter Max-esque uh, visualization of it. That's yeah. that's weird-ass word. Peter Max-esque. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you would like Plastic City. And yes. That was that – was, that, that is one of the funnest one-day cons ever. Yeah, it was so nice. I got to see uh, Karen there and talk with her a little bit. And uh, and then I got to actually hear the the interview that you did with her a couple of weeks ago about her um, her illustrators masterclass. That was really cool. I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. Boy, did you did you notice that the, the new stuff that she's doing now is is a significant difference from some of her older stuff and the stuff that she's bringing with her from that masterclass is simply amazing. Fantastic. That's great. That is great. And, and a lot of other, uh, old, old friends, uh, artists, vendors, uh, and, and that, and that, that just wonderful two minute interview with Barbara Friedlander that went almost 15 by the time we were done. <laughs> I said to her manager, look, all I really want is like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And and every time I'd look up at him and he'd, he'd just keep nodding his going, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. No, no, no. Yeah. It's a great it's, – it's really interesting talking to these people who worked for Marvel and DC during the Silver Age because they have a whole different experiential plane to to talk about than the people who are working there now. Mm-hmm. Any 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 aspect of comics history, I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by by the day to day, the way they put the stories together, just the way that that collaborative process happens, and then moves it towards something that is so you know is so impactful for so many different people. You know, it's just it's it's it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and yeah, it, it truly truly is. Um, and, and she's was just absolutely wonderful. And frankly, so was her manager for giving me all the leeway that, that I took <laughs> to get a great interview out of it. But, um, you know, and the nice thing about plastic city is that you don't feel as if you're overpaying for stuff. Even when you're dealing with the vendors, mm-hmm. it's very strange. Uh, you you wanted to say something, uh, Zombrarian? I was sure she wanted to say something. I can't Google things and talk at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. 
Um, so to take you backwards, the conversation, I was just going to try to do this quietly under the radar while you talked about other things. Mm-hmm. But because I cannot let a piece of trivia go unresearched, um, the art director of Yellow Submarine was Heinz Yielman. That's a a word. That's a last name. Um, And the animation directors were Robert Balzer and Jack Stokes. Wow. That's cool. It was was just such a good, such an odd piece of, of a moment in time. What, what that movie was and what it did and where it belongs in, in the history of the 60s, where it belongs in the history of the Beatles, where it belongs in the history of 60s music. I mean, it holds a number of of, of very different roles in that. And, and it's just, uh, yes. as George said, it, it's all in your mind. Yeah. But I Great use of color too. also interrupted you talking about Plastic City to tell you that fun those fun facts. <laughs> but that's okay. Before that's I good. leave, do you want to hear a fun animal fact? Please. Most bees are not unionized. <laughs> <laughs> that's an animal fact. You can research that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to know. And, and thank you for enlightening us and the audience as well. <laughs> <laughs> I only tell true facts, except in my dream Twitter account. <laughs> I can't. Well, I, someday I'll I tell you have, about the Twitter account that I dream of having. The, the Twitter account that that I'm dreaming of having is entitled uh, "Instead of Vacations I Should Have Taken." But we, we're not going to go there. It's called Taft Facts, and it's <laughs> all made-up facts about President Taft, except on Tuesdays when we do True Fact Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, back to the show. <laughs> Only talking about Taft, and we can dig it. He's a complicated <laughs> man. <laughs> Taft. <laughs> Taft. Talking about Taft. <laughs> <laughs> Taft invented sunglasses. Did you know that? That's a Taft fact. <laughs> Only talking about Taft. <laughs> I, I need the baseline. So we have already we've already diverged like ten different directions since we even started thing? the show. No, not no, at all. It's a <laughs> thing. But it's going to be a five-hour episode, man. This is going to be like Could epic. Be. I'm gonna need Gatorade. I'm gonna need Gatorade and like a, a, a you know water table that we'll go by and pick up small little cups for. It's, it's, it's epic. Well, the water table is really low because it's been so hot. Oh, different water table. <laughs> different water. Sorry table. about that. We're gonna have to rotate pee breaks, you guys. That's right. Not to be confused <laughs> also with uh, Zombie's new occasional table. <laughs> you have to be subtle about it so that the listeners don't notice. That we're going on pee breaks. Mm-hmm. So you don't really want to announce it like you're doing now? I didn't say I was going. I just oh, said okay. that we have to be subtle about it when we do. Yeah, well, the only one who doesn't have to be subtle is Grianica. She's busy with her mic muted and not really and doing anything, playing her game. But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, 
I am really becoming a huge fan of these, and I've said this before, nothing new here. These one-day cons, they're, they're great for vendors. They're great for uh, producers and, 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 and artists. And, and they're great for fans because they're an inexpensive day. You know, I mean, you're not paying for parking. Uh, right. You're not paying huge amounts for food. You're not staying overnight somewhere, so you're not paying for a hotel. All, all really good things, and and it's it it to me is like exactly what what one of these mini cons should be. Absolutely, and you know, I, I, you get in these really wonderful conversations with creators about things. Just, I mean, I was walking down the aisles, and I had on my uh, comic book legal defense fund T-shirt from. Yes, um, you did actually. Yeah. I remember that. yeah, yeah, and I had at least four or five different artists remark on it and then just start up a conversation. And then we're talking about the work that they're, that they're doing and just having these, these wonderful little moments with creators at these, at these very personal cons that, you know, I, I don't necessarily think you're going to have that at New York comic con. I mean, you might, but or uh, Boston you know, or Rhode uh, Island or Denver right? or right. any, or, you know, or San Diego, it is just, they're too big. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They perform a different function for both the producer and the attendee. They really do. But the, the good, the good news is that, uh, at a moment of, uh, quiet reflection, uh, because I was, my, my booth was tucked away up in an area where you needed to go to get a snack, uh, cause the snack bar was literally 20 feet away from my booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever anybody was dry or hung, uh, you know needed to drink or wanted a hot dog, they had to walk right past me, which was perfect. And there you were. And yeah. we got a chance to talk about a bunch of things um, to refresh our listeners' memory. You are Mister Last Word Audio, and uh, former former middle school, high school teacher. Mm-hmm. A former theater teacher, uh, now full-time guy who talks for a living. Yeah, I, talking and uh, quite a bit of writing, too. I've been uh, doing a blog called Geekery and Wine that I've been doing. This, uh, hold, yeah. hold that thought because we're going to talk about that one. <laughs> we're going to talk about that one because that podcast just pissed me off. <laughs> You know why. I'm so happy. I'm so uh-huh. happy. That's great. That's great. Because that means I know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't wait. I can't wait. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I've been uh, developing a, a, a collection of uh, s- uh, suburban fantasy things that I'm going to be putting out hopefully within the next year. But but the big thing, yeah, is is the uh, the audiobooks. I've uh, done a lot of stuff lately for the role playing game community. So the people who are, you know, Dungeons and Dragons players and Call of Cthulhu players and really any tabletop RPG, I've been doing a lot of kind of how to to um, help out your 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 friendly neighborhood game master so that they can run better games more efficiently and and, and those kinds of things. Uh, as a matter of like fact, only, 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go. Um, um, so yeah, um, is it, with the tabletop role playing thing, it's it's been getting just bigger and bigger. And uh, I'm actually day after tomorrow, I'm I'm flying out to Indianapolis to go to uh, uh, Gen Con. Um, Last Word Audio is actually a finalist for an Any Award for Sly Flourish's Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Very a, cool. Best electronic book. So we'll see what happens. We'll hope uh, that uh, everything everything pans out. Should it, it's going to be amazing. I I've never been to Gen Con before. I've been playing role playing games since I was ten years old, and I've never been to Gen Con. I'm just really excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. It, it, it's funny, but from the perspective of a person who, and and this will sound odd to you, never was a gamer, mm-hmm. never played RPGs. And yet sat on a panel last year with two heavy-duty RPG players. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've watched it ebb and flow. Sometimes it becomes very popular, and then it kind of fades to the, the hardcore. And, but there's been a huge resurgence in, in uh, board games and RPG games. Huge resurgence. Most recently, there was a figure that came out that said that in the last year, there were 40 million people that had played Dungeons and Dragons. 40 okay, million. Well, well, that's just a mistake. Because- <laughs> how much? I wonder how much of that is Stranger Things and how much of that is just. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I mean, Stranger Things definitely was something that helped spark it for sure. But even in. Uh, in audiobooks and in in uh, in books in general, lit RPG and and uh, RPG um, type stories where you're magically transported into the game, kind of thing, sort of a la Ready Player One, is is becoming its own subgenre within within science fiction and fantasy. It's it's pretty fascinating. Uh, it's really been blowing up a lot too. So yeah. So, you know, that you're once again right in the middle of it tends not to surprise me because (laughs) you do have you do have this this level of geek cred that for as long as I've known you, you have flown very well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I can honestly say with 100 percent certainty that if I hadn't started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was 11 years old. I would not be an audiobook narrator now because basically I started off, you know, doing funny voices around a kitchen table with my friends, going through dungeons and fighting orcs and stuff like that. And then it just, you know, kept going and went through theater. But ultimately you're coming back to creating these these small characters in very intimate set you know, intimate settings. And that's basically what you're doing on the audiobooks on the audiobook front. Yeah. So, like, we we were talking at Plastic City, mm-hmm. and you had said, I got a new book. You're <laughs> really, really, really going to like this one. And and why do I trust you when you say that? <laughs> I trust you because when you said, hey, Dome, I'd really love to do the audio book of my peculiar family and you knocked it out of the fricking park <laughs> at that point. I just kind of went, I've got to listen to some of his other stuff. And I did. And, and Oh my God. And <laughs> then three or four of the authors 
who participated in the first My Peculiar Family book said to me, that guy is so cool. And I went, <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, he absolutely is. So you came wandering by and you said to me, first of all, the book has a name that's virtually unpronounceable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the Mad Scientist's Cabinet of Curated Chimeras. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> well, you and know, as long, when, as, yeah. long as you've known me, there is no way that should have come out of my mouth correctly the first time. You you did great. You spoke it trippingly on the tongue. I've Hamlet would be happy. <laughs> Where'd you get the title from? You know, I I wanted something that was going to be that would remind us of of Tales from the Crypt and the Haunt of Terror. Um uh all of those and the old horror movie hosts on on Saturday like Elvira and Sven Gulli. And so I wanted something that was going to evoke that. And I came up with this, okay, this has all been done in the horror genre. Well, why couldn't we do something like that in classic science fiction with with ray guns and bubble helmets and all all the really cool stuff that that I love? And, and it doesn't even have to be as dark. And I came up with the mad scientist. Um, that's going to be the first one. There's going to be a couple of more. And and one of them, you know, I don't want to say too much about the other ones because we'll, we'll see how they transpire. But uh, okay. yeah, the, yeah, the mad scientist was just something I came up with and I went. Here's this person. He's doing these these experiments. And I didn't want to just do the stories, but I really wanted to work with with the authors like Fritz Leiber and Harry Harrison. But, you know, they're they're past. And I remember having a a publisher friend whose husband worked on a film based on Harry Harrison's uh, a piece by Harry Harrison. And I said, hey, do you think Harry would want to work with me? And she said, yeah, well, you'll have to work with him from heaven because, you know, he passed away a while ago. And I went, oh, okay, got it. But then I also remember doing my Clifford C-Max. I did uh, The Street That Wasn't There. And Mm -hmm. and that reminded me of like X minus one, which I thought, oh, my gosh, it's such an iconic title. And I wanted to create something that was different, but not just the story. So I created the character of the mad scientist to kind of tie them all together. And then I had a friend um, named Rick, Rick Reed, uh, who does uh, theatrical productions, their sound design back in Colorado. And uh, he's also a voiceover artist. And I said, hey, do you want to maybe put together some sound designs for this to to do the interstitials between them? And I can have the character breaks. And then ultimately, by the end, there's a small story that happens with the mad scientist, which is really fun and kind of cool and sort of what you would expect for someone engaging in mad science, you know? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah. As I was listening to it. Okay. First of all, the best place to listen to audiobooks for me Mm -hmm. is while I'm driving. Oh yeah. Um, And a lot of people said to me, Oh, I can't do that. Because if I'm paying attention to the book, I'm not paying attention to the idiot in front of me. I said, well, then you don't know how to drive or listen. So (laughs) you're in trouble. Um, And I I popped it onto my phone and Bluetoothed it in and started driving. And I just kind of went, shit, now I need to drive for another two and a half, three, four hours. (laughs) 
Road trip. It's road trip. Break in from your friendly neighborhood librarian. You can avoid Dome's problem by getting free ebooks from your library on your phone using your library card, and you can borrow them anytime. Don't do it while you're actively driving. Pull over, borrow a new book. You can drive again. <laughs> the end. Love your friendly neighborhood zombre and peace out. And love your friendly neighborhood library that provides those things for you. But, you know, I've got to tell you, it, uh, it reminded me so much in the depth of the production of War of the Worlds. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. If, you, if you've ever listened to the original War of the Worlds, mm-hmm, absolutely. There, there, is, there is a depth of production to it. Uh, the voices that you hear of people in the background as people in the foreground are telling the story. But there's another whole thing going on in the background, and gradually that comes to the foreground. And there's, there's music involved, but there's also a lot of sound effects that are directly uh, in response to what's going on. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, you worked on this one. This is really, really cool. <laughs> this is not just, you know, if you're doing an audio book and it's just a straight audio book, you're going, let's not screw up the words. Let's mm-hmm. make sure I say what it says on the page and not deviate. Uh, you, you took this seven or eight levels beyond that. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm you, really glad welcome. you liked it. Yeah. And I I had such great fun with it. I I will uh, alert the audience that after the interview, we're going to install uh, another story from the Mad Scientist Cabinet of Curated Chimeras. That's two times I've done that. And you nailed it (laughs) each time. And, And right now, I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what it is when we do it. So there. Because uh, I'm having, uh, to be honest with you, and if I need to be honest with you, there are very few audiobooks that I will listen to more than once. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the same way that there are very few books that I will read more than once. Uh, I think there's maybe 20 or 30 of them that I've read more than once right now. Of course, I'm reading good omens for the third time. Thank you. Zombrian, by the way, for that, for that. <laughs> We're so, so wonderfully right. Cause I've and, been telling you since before the TV series, I have to say, God, yeah, this is my hipster like, moment. Yep. I feel like ever since I stopped being afraid of you, <laughs> I've been saying, Dome, you know what? You should read Good Omens. And you've been saying, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll get around. So finally, for those of you who don't know, I got Dome Good Omens for Christmas. And so read, in the space of six right months. Before, right before the TV show came out. Yep. And I enjoyed the TV show even more because I, I had the text inside me. And I've read it 
at least once all the way through since then, and I'm working on a second time. So this will be my third time reading the book, just enjoying it. And Spoiler-free question. Did they include my favorite part of the book in the TV show? I don't know what your favorite part of the book The name of the Hellhound is my favorite part of the book. No. <gasps> no, it's so cute, though. I know, I know. It, I get that it's not central to the story, but it's so cute. They they worked so hard to instill so much into it. And and golly gee, Doctor Who is so good in it. David Tennant's <laughs> good in everything. Oh, Very true. Oh, my goodness. Did you see him in Broadchurch? He was fabulous in that. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He's, he's, you know... The Great best part, dramatic actor, which makes, which does not ever make a good comedic actor, but a really good comedic actor can always be a great dramatic actor. I've noticed that over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, the neat part right now is that you're at this wonderful literary fork in the road where you can either go down the Terry Pratchett route or you can go down the Neil Gaiman route. And they're both really fun. You'll have very different experiences, but if you were to go down the whole disc world, it's it's fun and and silly and really wonderful wordplay all over the place. And if you go the Neil Gaiman route, you've got an entirely different set of universes that he's developed that are equally fantastic, you know. And and as as a person who read the Grandmasters growing up, mm-hmm. and and then. Uh, worked through the Golden Age and the Silver Age of, of science fiction uh, during the Amazing Stories period. And, and now I'll sit there and I'll read 10 books by the same author because he wrote 10 books in a row and then he stopped. And then I go, ah, you know, that kind of thing. So there's so now, many, so many artists that do that same sort of thing. I mean, I even do that same thing too. I tend to create audiobooks in clusters. I, I start to find myself really interested in a subject and then I can't seem to get enough of it. So I suppose it, it's kind of like, you know, you think of Picasso and Picasso had his blue period and then he had his cubist period. And for me, I did a whole, a whole raft of things on comic books. And then I did another set of things just on pop culture. And then I had, you know, the, the time when I did your and, and Maddie's book when I was doing just new England creators. And then I kind of, now I'm onto the, the role-playing aspect of it. I mean, you, as an artist, you sort of get just very inspired and lit up and you just can't seem to get enough to quench your thirst on that subject. So I, I totally see where they're coming from for sure. From a literary standpoint. Yeah. It's very weird. Now, 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 now we get to the point of contention. Ready? <laughs> Please. Yes, absolutely. That's what we're here in, Ju- in July of 2018, you started a podcast called Geekery and Wine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Guilty that as pod- <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm just a simple country lawyer. Uh-huh. However, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Atticus. In that Please, podcast, continue. you talked about geek stuff, you talked about games, and you drank a lot of wine. Oh, yes. Still do. 
Congratulations. I think it helps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I had, we, we'd known each other for a couple of years at that point, and you had mentioned it and asked me to give a listen to it, and I did. Uh-huh. And, and I kind of got, well, you did like three or four in a row in the span of a month. Mm-hmm. And then you stopped doing them for a little bit, and then you did one a month for a while. Mm-hmm. And then went, oh, well, he's, he's, he's found his pace. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, I'm going to stop there. Yes. There's some friends of mine who I've met who do a podcast called Mad Max in a Minute. Mm-hmm. And they take that podcast, and I think you've met them. I think I, I introduced you to them at, at, at Granite Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take all the Mad Max movies minute by minute and dissect them. Great from, googly from, moogly. <laughs> that would be amazing. opening scene through the very last credit. Yeah. Oof. And, I mean, this, this is an intensive focusing down, drilling down. To the, to the most interesting or minutia aspects of it, but it's it's something that they love, mm-hmm. and I and I said to myself, well, he's reached his pace. But what happens with these guys who do the Mad Max in a minute is after ninety seven minutes, goddamn movie's over, That's nothing true. left. So, and if there's not a, a Mad Max nine, hey, my hangnail hurts. I have to kill somebody. Then they've got nothing to do. You, on the other hand, decided a case of wine was enough, and have abruptly stopped your podcast for now, and, are, and have made plans <laughs> to turn it into an audio book with what you call palate cleansers in between. <laughs> This is true. Talk to me because I'm <laughs> I I really did enjoy the podcast. Let's just start there. Excellent. Well, first of all, let me just tell you that it will not end with one case. That's just where a breakpoint will occur. And then we'll start the next case soon. I actually have the next three bottles of wine already picked out. <laughs> I know exactly what Yes, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. And uh, and the liner notes for the audiobooks that I do in the third segment are just ones from they're just my remembrances of the way that certain audiobooks came together. So, again, they're like liner notes. And as long as I have another production of an audiobook that I've done, I have another thing to talk about for the next episode. So that should be fine. Um, I'm up to 31 or 32 titles, I think, out on Audible now. So that that should take us through. The last word library is growing by leaps and bounds. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully, you know, with uh, a lot of the people I'll be meeting with at Gen Con, um, it will probably have quite a few more titles that will be added in over uh, the rest of 2019 and 2020. That's what we're crossing our fingers for. Um, So, yeah, I have the next three titles picked out. The palate cleansers themselves are audio shorts that have just kind of happened along the way. I I do a lot of writing. I write pretty much all the time. And there'll be moments that I'll say, you know, I'll do a quick short story or some sort of 
essay. And then I'll say, you know, I should just sit down and record that. And there was one time where a friend of mine, Stephen J. Cohen and I, we were there uh, in this in this restaurant in New York and Jackie Mason came in and we sat there and we went, is that Jackie Mason? It has to be Jackie Mason. And so I did this whole audio short called The Jackie Mason Mystery. And we talked about whether or not it was Jackie Mason and whether whether or not we should go up and say hi, or whether we actually, you know, you know, bother the man while he's eating. And it's it's this whole story about what happened. And then there was another one about uh, when I went to a, a narrator's, uh, it was basically like a sleepaway camp for audiobook narrators. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was fantastic. And um, I was really nervous about reading aloud in front of my friends. So it was over Halloween and I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to I'm going to record a story that I wrote that basically is kind of what would happen if like HP Lovecrafty and Beasties got into my hardware in my audiobook booth while I was trying to record over Halloween. And then I recorded the story and and presented it there on this tiny speaker, which was my way of not having to read aloud in front of a lot of people who are my peers who I, it's like, I don't want to read aloud. I mean, I'm good in the booth because that's my job, but I don't want to necessarily read aloud. I mean, yes, I'm an actor, but the last time I was actually live on stage, that was many, many years ago. And, and I found it very intimidating. So I wrote another story about the Lovecraftian beasties that were uh, infesting my, my headphones for a particular story. And so there's all of these different palate cleansers that will go in between the different episodes of Geekery and Wine and pull it all together so that it's a larger thing than just hearing the podcast, which, you know, if you if you hop on Anchor Media or any of wherever you get your podcasts, you can you can subscribe to it and listen to it. And you can also hear our wonderful uh, panel discussion that we did uh, for Granite State and uh, a, a free chapter of one of uh, Javier Grigio Marxwatch's books that he did called The Eleven Laws of Showrunning. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be there that will still continue to be there. But, uh, yes, Geekery and Wine is not stopping at a single case. Not at all. I, I, you I, lied I, then. You <laughs> lied. I okay. said, I said we're, <laughs> we're just stopping here for a moment. And, you know, I, I, as you've noticed, it is kind of irregular as to when I can put out episodes. I'll put right. out three really fast and then it'll be a couple of months because, oh, gosh, like two or three publishing houses will say, hey, we really need you to do this audiobook and we Life need it right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. I got gotcha. you. Or, or like, um, you know, my daughter graduated from high school last June, and I didn't get a whole lot of recording done during that time. So, yeah, those kinds of things <laughs> definitely happen. And now, as promised, another segment from the Mad Scientist Cabinet of Curated Chimera. Afterwards, more stuff. The Murder Machine by Hugh B. Cave. It was dusk on the evening of December 7th, 1906, when I first encountered Sir John Harmon. At the moment of his entrance, I was standing over the table in my study, a lighted match in my cupped hands, and a pipe between my teeth. The pipe was never lit. I heard the lower door slam shut with a violent clatter. The stairs resounded to a series of unsteady footbeats, and the door of my study was flung back. In the opening, staring at me with quiet dignity, stood a young, careless fellow, about five feet ten in height, and decidedly dark of complexion. 
The swagger of his entrance branded him as an adventurer. The ghastly pallor of his face, which was almost colorless, branded him as a man who has found something more than mere adventure. Dr. Dale, he demanded. I am Dr. Dale. He closed the door of the room deliberately, advancing toward me with slow steps. My name is John Harmon. Sir John Harmon. It is unusual, I suppose, he said quietly with a slight shrug. Coming at this late hour, I won't keep you long. He faced me silently. A single glance at those strained features convinced me of the reason for his coming. Only one thing can bring such a furtive, restless stare to a man's eyes. Only one thing. Fear. I've come to you, Dale, because... Sir John's fingers closed heavily over the edge of the table. Because I am on the verge of going mad. From fear? From fear, yes. I suppose it is easy to discover. A single look at me. A single look at you, I said simply would convince any man that you are deadly afraid of something. Do you mind telling me just what it is? He shook his head slowly. The swagger of the poise was gone. He stood upright now with a positive effort, as if the realization of his position had suddenly surged over him. I do not know, he said quietly. It is a childish fear, fear of the dark, you may call it. The cause does not matter, but if something does not take this unholy terror away... The effect will be madness. I watched him in silence for a moment, studying the shrunken outline of his face and the unsteady gleam of his narrowed eyes. I had seen this man before. All London had seen him. His face was constantly appearing in the sporting pages, a swaggering member of the upper set, a man who had been engaged to nearly every beautiful woman in the country, who sought adventure in sport and in nightlife merely for the sake of living at top speed. And here he stood before me, whitened by fear, the very thing he had so deliberately laughed at. Dale, he said slowly, for the past week I have been thinking things that I do not want to think, and doing things completely against my will. Some outside power, God knows what it is, is controlling my very existence. He stared at me and leaned closer across the table. Last night, some time before midnight, he told me, I was sitting alone in my den. Alone, mind you. Not a soul was in the house with me. I was reading a novel, and suddenly, as if a living presence had stood in the room and commanded me, I was forced to put the book down. I fought against it, fought to remain in that room and go on reading, and I failed. Failed. My reply was a single word of wonder. I left my home because I could not help myself. Have you ever been under hypnotism, Dale? Yes? Well, the thing that gripped me was something similar, except that no living person came near me in order to work his hypnotic spell. I went alone, the whole way. Through back streets, alleys, filthy dooryards, never once striking a main thoroughfare, until I had crossed the entire city and reached the west side of the square. And there, before a big grey townhouse, I was allowed to stop my mad wandering. The power, whatever it was, broke. I, well, I went home. Sir John got to his feet with an effort and stood over me. Dale, he whispered hoarsely, what was it? You were conscious of every detail, I asked. Conscious of the time, of the locality you went to. You are sure it was not some fantastic dream. Dream? Is it a dream to have some damnable force move me about like a mechanical robot? 
But you can think of no explanation. I was a bit skeptical of his story. He turned on me savagely. I have no explanation. Doctor, he said curtly, I came to you for the explanation. And while you are thinking over my case during the next few hours, perhaps you can explain this. When I stood before that grey mansion on After Street, alone in the dark, there was murder in my heart. I should have killed the man who lived in that house, had I not been suddenly released from the force that was driving me forward. Sir John turned from me in bitterness. Without offering any word of departure, he pulled open the door and stepped across the sill. The door closed, and I was alone. Well, you know, you know what, what bothers me most about you is that you, you just, you're just not doing enough stuff. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Jesus, you know, you could really make something of yourself if you would just buckle down and do something. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly just eating bonbons and, and playing Destiny on my Xbox, but that's that's my life, you know? I love it. <laughs> Colby, it is, it, it's wonderful whenever you're on the show. You are a welcome guest, and you are always welcome here. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, I appreciate it. And Kriana's with me. Look at the thank you, darling. If I could make this other thing work, it would be even better, but. Sci Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Company, Ian Six City Cup, Books.com, and ComicArt.com. Be sure to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for some really great gift book for the rapidly approaching September natural, National Publication Day celebration, consider a look at Five by Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family on Amazon, and Zenobo.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible. I'm not sure where else you can possibly find it, except maybe on Colby's website. Our intro production is provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, take a look at Rob Watts online and don't forget to try the Watts songs. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their stuff can be found at lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Jojo, congratulations on a great con in London. Thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the sound, Brianna, and words on very Thank you so much, ladies. This is Dome St. Terry and Gene. Shared pain is less. Shared joy increased. Thus, to we all feud entropy. We'll talk soon. Stay Stay strong. And time. I know. Good night, everybody!